Welcome to Pushing Through. It is Tuesday, May 26th, and I am Tate Frazier. And as always, I am joined by BJ Armstrong, a.k.a. The Kid. BJ, we're going to Disney World. It sounds like basketball is going to Disney World. Are you excited? M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> Turn on the Disney Plus. Disney Plus. That's my show. Now don't don't mess with me at Disney Plus. <laughs> don't mess with me with Disney Plus. That's why that's my go-to. It's my go-to take. Well, we got the, the the new version of Disney Plus, right? We got the NBA. Uh that that is what the the talk of the town is. The NBA has decided to partner with Disney World. We've seen the picture of Mickey Mouse and Adam Silver. It's gone out to the world and uh th- there is hope for basketball. There is hope for um uh, an NBA season. There's some conversations being had about, you know, playing games. There, there's all these structural conversations that are happening right now. But BJ I don't want to get into all that. I just want to talk about the fact that we're, we're going to see live basketball again and just being a player yourself and talking about the conditioning and getting back into game shape. What do you think that process is like for the players? I've seen Dame Lillard come out. He says it, he may not go down there and play because they don't have a real playoff. Like, What is the fallout as a player as you see all this stuff kind of come out? Well, I think the conditioning, Tate, if I can speak from a player's perspective, is going to be it's one that's going to be very difficult. Yep. Because now you're not giving the players an opportunity to get themselves in proper condition. And uh, they've been out. They've been off for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to restart. We're going to restart under what what is the what are the conditions? Are we starting to play 10 to 15 games? Are there going to be in 30 teams? Are there going to be 25 teams? Or are we just going to start with some have even suggested that, you know, we're going to go straight to the playoffs. So I think the uncertainty the preparation and there's just not enough time. I, I think the if they do come back, I think the games are going to be very sloppy. Mm-hmm. I think the players and the coaches are going to have to adjust kind of on the fly. And even though they'll be playing the games, I don't think they'll be played at the level that we've come accustomed to when we say, you know, NBA basketball, because there's just not enough time to prepare and get in the type of game condition that you need to play the game at the highest level. And is there a chance, I mean, when, when you think about that, right, you talk about the highest quality of NBA basketball, we we, uh, we identify NBA basketball with the best basketball in the world. And if the product is not as great, right, if they come back and they play these games, the product is not as great, uh, the players don't look as sharp, is there any way that, that it could dilute the league, even though we're all excited to see basketball be back? I mean, is there is there any sort of, you know, concern there? Because at least from my perspective, I don't think it will be because people seem so excited. We saw the match with Phil Mickelson and, and these guys this weekend gets, you know, six million and view, viewers just because people want to watch something in sports but is there a chance that is the NBA worried about any of that sort of stuff are you worried about that I mean I, I feel like as a fan people just want to see basketball you know we'll take you know I think the fact remains now is that we all are operating or working in a new normal mm-hmm. and I would love to tell you you know I wish the game would come back how it used to be but Tate I can certainly tell you this uh, without absolute certainty, but I'm fairly certain that the game will be different. The mm-hmm. way the games will be produced will be different. Uh, I'm not sure whether fans are going to be in the building or not in the building, um, but there will be a new normal. Mm-hmm. So I think right now you have to just push the envelope and see what's possible and what's not and kind of learn on the fly. I really don't know what the game is going to look like, Tate, because these are conditions that no one is, no one knows. Mm-hmm. And myself included, the NBA, the players, the team, coaches. and uh, But what we do know is that, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And the one thing that I've, I constantly want to remind our audience is that the safety of the players and the safety of everyone has to remain at the forefront. 
And yes, we what we would love to play. Yes, we would love to get back out there and play. Like everyone would love to get back to what they were doing or what their normal life was prior to this pandemic. But Tate, it's going to look new. It's going to be new. And uh, we're all kind of adjusting, learning on the fly as we go along. Yeah, and as long as it's better than the horse challenge that we saw on ESPN, I think we're all going to be very happy because uh, <laughs> that, that was the one time, I think, if there was like a quality dip, uh, we saw it in that situation. It seems like TV is kind of caught up, right, you said, to the new normal. Uh, we're getting better produced events. And like like you said, if the NBA is able to piece this together, I'm sure that they'll find a way to to find it, you know, and make it a safe situation for everyone and, and hopefully get the league going. Um, quickly, I just want to mention uh, today we have a very special episode. We're going to have Ninth Wonder, uh, a legendary producer that we had uh, in Chicago at the NBA All-Star Game, courtesy of Mitchell and Ness. And uh, before we get in that interview, BJ, I just want to talk about, you know, that was the last time we saw basketball we, we congregated all together it seems like it was a right. an, an old world type type of event in Chicago but just that experience right being around basketball I mean it got you and I our juices flowing talking about some of the older guys in the game and some of the you know the younger guys that are growing into you know the superstars and trying to connect those two worlds um just talk about you know being in Chicago for that experience is there anything that you remember just thinking about that because it feels like it was five years ago to me um, because we've been so deep in this quarantine you know I was thinking about that event just the other day I, I happened to run across some old photos where you and I were there and mm -hmm. this was before you know the coronavirus and you and I were sitting close to one another as we were doing our <laughs> interviews no longer no will longer. we be doing that mm -hmm. uh giving each other dap no longer will <laughs> we be doing that so I was just thinking about things how things are going to be different mm -hmm. and um you know I was thinking about the game and uh as I was watching the last dance as I was watching and listening to you know this generation I was like what was one of the things that distinguished that generation from this generation? And one of the things take that really stood out to me, and we didn't touch upon it as we were doing our recaps is back then in the, the eighties and the nineties, the players earned their stripes in practice. Mm -hmm. Practice is where you earned your stripes as a professional. That's where you got your reputation was in practice where today, you know, that's not the case. You know, you have a great game or two, you know, people immediately say potential. Well, back then you actually had to repeat, you had to repeat what you could do over and over and over again before you even got an opportunity to show what you could do in the game. And, and the reason I'm bringing this, bringing this up is, you know, how are we going to allow these young people today in today's game? Because that's, you know, these, there are some incredible young players and I'm always trying to, how do we push the game forward? How do we get these players to reach their full potential? How do we take that word potential off of their name? And where's that going to happen, right? It's, it's not going to happen in a workout, but it's going to have to, it's going to have to happen in practice because practice is the closest thing that we have that resembles a game. You know, now we're so how many times now Tate, do we look at videos where guys are just working out one on one on zero or one on none or working out with their trainer? When do they get an opportunity to practice what they're going to actually do in the game? Mm -hmm. You just don't see that anymore. So um, that's what I, I was thinking about All Star Weekend as I saw all of these players. I remember when I, you know, first saw, you know, Ralph Sampson. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, you asked, like, how good are these guys? And they would we would always talk about how good they were in practice. Mm -hmm. We would always talk about, you know, someone we saw them play, 
in a game-like situation, whether it was at a basketball camp or what have you. But now you just don't hear that. You'll just hear people give stats. Oh, man, this guy shoots such and such. His true shooting percentage is this. Or he made, you know, 90 out of 100 threes in a practice. Well, that's a little different than playing. And um, when you're around all of these athletes and wonderful players, it always gets down to one thing. And that's the one thing that always stood out with me about Michael Jordan and that era is performance was the X factor in sports mm-hmm. as it and, should be. And, and we're talking about practice, obviously. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, it's analytical, uh, you know, versus the the mythical version of these players right. and, and the mythology. Like you said, it can be uh, groomed and it can grow in practice. And you say Michael Jordan is the best practice player you ever saw. But obviously we saw that translate to the games and everyone, you know, the, those two mythologies kind of build on themselves. You know, the what we saw, like you said a million times to me, you're like, you, you saw Michael do this against Craig Elo, he hits the shot. I saw him do that in practice all the time in situations. And, and it wasn't a, a shock to me to see. And the practice version of that was actually better than, than, than the, than the full-on right. performance. And, and, and it seems like what you're saying now, the, the analytical side of the world would say, you know, let's rest, let's save ourselves. The, the game is the big moment. Let's hydrate. Uh, the drills are isolationist. Like you said, like we're working with our, our trainer one-on-one. We're not seeing actual, you know, players head-to-head. You know, <laughs> you know, when you just said that, I, I, I've always thought this. So if someone asked me the other day, they say, you know, what do you think Michael Jordan would be in this in this in this era mm-hmm. and my immediate response was um how would you go to michael jordan and tell him tell him that he has to load manage tonight like <laughs> what what would his response be <laughs> what do you think tate i think his response would be uh probably calling someone a hoe um <laughs> for, for, for for even making some sort of assumption like that uh and then continuing to go about his day and putting on his carolina shorts and his bull shorts and playing the game you know what i mean uh that that seems like it would be standard protocol yeah I, it's like it's like little things like that where i think but it, but it's also to me I, i'm in this weird spot with michael where i can play both sides of it because i could see michael being a Kawhi Leonard type where if management is telling him to load manage you know what i mean he may take that as that that is a strategy from the top that's what management is telling me i need to listen to them so i will load manage um but i also like like we were just talking about i could see the basketball part of it is too it's, it's just too much of a draw to get him there and uh so, so, so there, there's two sides of that where I could see like if, if Jerry Krause and, and Jerry Reinsdorf call Michael Jordan and say, hey, we need you to load manage. We're making a run for the playoffs. Obviously, we saw in 86, Michael Jordan, he didn't, he didn't have any time for that. He makes the run to go to the playoffs. We know the story. Um, uh, but I could see that. I mean, I don't know. The NBA seems to have changed a lot in that sense where everyone is trying to get that advantage statistically, analytically, whatever you want to call it. And I don't know if Michael would fall privy to that, but, I, but I, based on his DNA, I don't think so. You know, I don't know how you would bring that to him, you know, but these are the things that I think about. <laughs> you know, I think about stuff like that, like, okay, how do you manage someone's personality like that today? That's the billion dollar question, because that word potential is the word that as a as an ex-player, all players are trying to take off, the, off of their name. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be that player to say, hey. Uh, player X has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. You want to be the player that says such and such is a great player. I, I really don't have the answer, but I am contemplating in deep thought. Tate. Yeah. How no, would it, you manage Mike? How would you manage Michael Jordan today? 
Yeah, how do you nurture like, Michael Jordan? How do you take him from that kid, that country boy from North Carolina that's Mike, and then you know groom him into Michael Jordan with the business savvy and all that sort of stuff while also keeping the basketball first? And I think that's something that we've talked about a million times on the show where no matter what with Michael, even when people didn't want him to put basketball, McDonald's or whoever is trying to get a commercial, Michael still put basketball first. And I don't know if we still have found a superstar in a sport. Maybe maybe Tom Brady's doing that with football, but but where they put the sport actually first, and and I and, and I mean supremely first. And it's hard to always keep it first because there's a myriad of things that happen in life. But Michael Jordan, for whatever reason, no matter what, was able to put basketball first until we put baseball first. But he still was able. But, you know, you know, take. I think the next great player, the future player, right? Mm-hmm. I think the next great player, because every time you see a, a great player. It's normally we haven't seen it before, right? When you first saw the sky hook, mm-hmm. it was like you hadn't seen that before. When you first saw Michael Jordan, you was like, oh, that looks a little different. I think the next great player is going to be a player that's going to, because the game is so fast now mm-hmm. with this whatever pace and space. I think the game is so fast. You have to be able to control the game. You're going to have to be able to control the tempo of the game. And I think the next great player is going to be a center. It's going to be a center. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a center who plays like a little guy. Because mm-hmm. we've never seen that before. And the reason I say that is because the centers have always been the last line of defense. But I think there will be a center who will be able to rebound the ball, dribble it out. Start the break start to break and dictate the flow of the game mm-hmm. and then be able to pass it, initiate it and go to the post. You know, what's hilarious about that because when you talk about that player, the, the archetypal player would be, let's say Ben Simmons, right? If Ben Simmons is a center and Ben Simmons just plays center and he's also starting the break, that makes him a, a, a totally different player. We're not talking about the fact that the outside shot or whatever. It's just like the center yeah. for your basketball team is able to lead the break, like you know, like Magic Johnson was able to do. But a Jaron Jackson might be more what you're talking about. Someone with handles, someone that can go out to the no, three-point no, line. No, no, no. A, a true big, not a someone who's tall. Mm-hmm. Okay. A true big. Mm. A true big. So a true big is Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Porzingis is tall. Yes. See, there's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Giannis is tall. Yes. Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is a big. Yes. Yes. Ben Simmons is tall. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about a true big. A true big who could actually dictate the tempo of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is the next phase of the game. Because now we are... In, so... When I was watching the last day, there's like things that happen, you know, you, you just for, well, at least I forget. But so Jordan probably was the first player who really or actually started small ball. Mm-hmm. Because up until then, no one had ever built a team around a two guard. And the only other guard that they built a team around was Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. He was the first little s- small guard. But they didn't play at this pace. They played. You know, they they could easily win a 75-70 game. Mm-hmm. Jordan, Pippen were actually playing here, and we didn't have a traditional low post score other than we had a two-guard who could go and play from the post. Mm-hmm. And he had big enough hands who could pass out of the post because it's easier to pass with one hand than it is with two. So when I was looking at it, I was like, that's kind of interesting because he was playing the game in this, he was play, he could play a ninety four foot game. 
where the Pistons never really played that. Mm-hmm. So, but the next thing that will, as you, now as I'm watching the game, so I'll speed the game up. So if you go through the timeline, so now you're looking at all of these guards, right? So you look at it, you know, you look at, you know, Lake Kobe Bryant, then you look at LeBron, you look at, you know, Steph Curry, you look at, so everyone's playing this game, pace, space, pace, pace, pace. But Jordan could slow the game down. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi Leonard to me is interesting because Kawhi Leonard can slow the game down. Mm-hmm. Tim Duncan was good enough to slow the game down. Shaquille O'Neal could slow it down. The great players can speed it up and they could slow it down. I think the next great player will be a big, a real big, mm-hmm. not someone just tall, who could push it out. He'll look like Joel Embiid. He'll push it out. He'll do his thing. And then he'll initiate it. And then when nothing happens, he'll do, they'll, they'll play just like the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So anytime Kareem crossed half court, the ball had to go to the post. Mm-hmm. And then you'll play from there. That's showtime. Mm-hmm. Except instead of Kareem outletting and letting Magic push it out, I think Kareem will rebound it and just and go push it and yeah. push it out himself. Mm-hmm. That will be the next great player because we haven't seen that. And that's the last, I think that's the, the final evolution of the game of basketball, mm-hmm. which will force now everyone to play five on five. Mm-hmm. So now you'll truly have five guys who can rebound the ball and push it out and then play from the post because the the game there's there in the playoffs the game has to go back to the post mm-hmm. to some degree mm-hmm. so Anthony Davis Kawhi Leonard you know whether it's Joel Embiid or whomever they'll always go back to the post so you'll say what about what about the Golden State Warriors well, they pass from the post. Yep. He's like, Draymond, Draymond is the, pa- he makes a decision. Yeah. It's Clay or Steph. Who's yeah, open? Yeah, Pick yeah, your poison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they play from the post. Mm-hmm. So I think that will be the final frontier for the next incredible player because the centers have yet to, they, they're, they're beginning to do it, but the center is, has yet to figure out how to play this new game. But mm-hmm. when they do play this new game, it'll go back to the dominance because the bigs always will dominate. You always need rim protection, and that big will be beyond. He'll be able to dictate the actual flow of the game, and I think that that will be the that'll be the new that'll be the next great player. And then people will be like twenty years ago on the Pushing Through podcast. They talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that'll be a great moment. And it's funny that you mentioned that the the post game itself is like is if if you look at the footwork and the growth of the game. I remember when LeBron James went to Miami in 2011. They lose that title to Wayne Casey, and we remember how what a great job right. the Mavericks did with him. And he spent that whole summer working on his footwork and his post game and and all that sort of stuff. And you know, I think that was the best version of LeBron in my opinion because I think he was fundamentally sound on the block. And that's why they were able to win those two championships. And like you said, you you mentioned Tim Duncan and Michael Jordan. Those are two of the best guys you'll ever see footwork-wise on the block and being able to move. And, you know, Akeem Olajuwon, of course, and Shaquille O'Neal, those guys. But it's a mastery of footwork. It's a mastery of being able to manipulate and move people into space and be able to open up an offense. And it, it all starts out of the post, like you said, in basketball. And it helps create space. And it's funny because everything is getting so far removed, so far pushed out that we forget that it all starts in the post and uh, it all comes back to the post. It all comes back to the big man. And we know that you love the bigs, BJ. So uh, love the bigs, love, love the bigs. It's coming back. 
Give me all the bigs. I just want to represent the bigs. The bigs are coming back. And, and, and speaking of a guy uh, in a situation, a man who loves bigs and big songs and big hits and uh, and big basketball players from back in the day, one of them being Ralph Sampson. We talked about him a little bit. That, of course, is Ninth Wonder uh, from Durham, North Carolina, a professor uh, at North Carolina Central and now at Duke University as well. Um, he came and blessed us with some old ACC talk. He came and stopped by uh, the Mitchell and Ness pop-up store, and BJ and I got into a, a full-on basketball discussion with hip-hop producer Ninth Wonder. Check it out now. All right, here we are. We are here at the Mitchell and Ness pop-up store. We are in Chicago, and I am joined by a, a tenured Duke professor. <laughs> and, and it might not be who you think it is based on that description, but it is legendary hip-hop producer of the group Little Brother, and that is Ninth Wonder. What's up, bro? How you doing, man? How you doing? I don't know if you ever had that introduction. No, I haven't. Coming from a Carolina fan, you know, he's, he's very nice to me at that particular well, point. Well, it hurt my heart. I'm from Henderson, North Carolina, a right. small town in North Carolina. Yep. And everywhere where I'm from, like, we can't go to Duke so you know we we don't identify with Duke and we all want to go to Duke I guess deep down maybe there's a I mean projection. it's a high, it is a very prestigious school you know we um <laughs> you know we only take the bit no I'm joking man yeah. I'm joking yeah but you know it is we live in a University of North Carolina State I will I will I will give you that it Absolutely. is a Tar Heel State 100 percent but you know, we just a better program right now. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's not We're not gonna bring up that game from last week because that'll hurt my heart too much. Why not? We can talk about it. We, uh, I got a five minute breakdown. I think. <laughs> Nineteen free throws you missed. Cole turned off the ball over the ball twice. You know, a couple of missed rebounds. Some more uh, missed free throws. We didn't even want to win that game. Ninth, we didn't even want to win that game. Man, y'all love seventy seven sixty four with four <laughs> minutes left. Three minutes left. Thirteen point lead. It all went downhill. It all there. went downhill. But you did it against uphill, Clemson. You did it against Clemson. You were up at by 10 with a minute and 50 left against Clemson, and it all went downhill. They should, but man. we didn't foul, and we were up three. And this time we decided to foul Duke, and then you know, and, you know, and, all and then, you know this has been that kind of season for y'all. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's I'm been sorry. a tough season for Very them tough season. For people that can't see this right now, Ninth Wonder is laughing at me as he says that. <laughs> He's not saying that nicely. He thinks it's funny. But, you know, I'm – Y'all will be better next year. Y'all got some players coming. You got Caleb Love coming in, R.J. Davis, Deshaun Sharp. Yeah. Uh, I love Walker, that you know our uh, recruits coming I'm a basketball guy, This is guy, a basketball, this a is basketball, basketball guy. guy. Exactly. So we're here for the NBA All-Star Week. We've got the 69th, 69th All-Star game, 32 years since we've been – in 1988. Chicago. Yeah, yeah 1988. So let's talk about that. Uh, the 1988 All-Star Game. That was two North Carolina guys competing in the dunk contest. We yep. got Dominique Wilkins versus Michael Jordan. Yep. This is a, There's a lot of controversy here because a lot of people think that maybe Dominique should have won. As a Michael Jordan North Carolina fan, I know that Michael should have won. But ninth, you know, you're on the other side of that. Are you are you on with Dominique in this? Or it's what's weird with me, man, because, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the biggest Michael Jordan fans ever. I mean, just from the standpoint of learning his stats and all that type of stuff, but the 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 the, the North Carolina side of Michael Jordan, I kind of blank out. I know nothing about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's just make this real, real. Yeah, the North Carolina, yeah, those never three watched years, that. we never see saw. That. I never saw him. I, okay. you know, I kind of picked up on Mike right. when he went to the Olympics. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You know Mike, but not Mike. You just don't I remember the shot and all. I <laughs> get the shot. But um, yeah, it was a 1988 dunk contest, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know. Um, a lot of people felt like Dominique should have won. Yeah, right. And they kept saying Mike was doing the same jump from the free throw line over and over, kiss the rim. But but Dominique did the windmill like three, four times, and it was the same thing. But I mean, I, I thought, it, and it was crazy. That was a crazy year because Mike won MVP of yeah forty the points in the All Star game. The All Star game. He was Defensive Player of the Year, leading scorer. Like he had an incredible season that year. So 
but the Bulls itself was not really still. They were turning the corner at the time, mm-hmm. and I think we had just got Scotty and um and Horace, so we were just you know trying to figure it out, you know. But and you know it turned out to be good, I guess. His yeah, it turned out turned to be. Right, it I turned guess. out to be great. You know? Tell us this man had a lot to do with it. <laughs> no, no, <for> sure. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about this love for basketball that you have. Oh where did this God. Where did this come from? Tell us about your career. My brother um, was very good in basketball um, coming out of high school. He was highly recruited coming out of 1981, 1982. And so I kind of picked it up. I came from a basketball family, like my mom and dad. My mom was a, the person who wore Charles Douthat is my son on the back of the <laughs> You know what I mean? Number 42. You know what I mean? So I, I just kind of grew up around it. And and growing up in North Carolina, as you know, yep. yo, during during the ACC tournament, they roll the TV in the yeah. in, in the in the You don't even classroom. learn anything. Like if you're in the middle no, of math, like they're the like, you just, it doesn't matter about subtraction. We're gonna watch the games. Now. Really? Yeah. ACC tournament in North Carolina around 12 o'clock, man, they will roll the TV in. When you used to have the TV on the platform, yeah, of course, we'll order pizza and we would watch the ACC tournament for the next two days, right? If you had a, t- a teacher that was cool enough, yeah. So it's kind of we're a basketball country, and so li- like watching basketball through the '80s and listening to hip hop at the same time, uh, whether it be Georgetown being the blackest team, mm-hmm. the whitest school, <laughs> whitest school, right? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, Chuck D wore Georgetown jackets, you know. Mm-hmm. The, so that was like. That was a kinship there, you know, all the way up until when you got into the 90s, it was, you know, one and the same. So I just fell in love with ball. I mean, I played in high school, but then when I got to college, I played like intramurals and pickup. Right. But I, you know, I met a guy that I went to North Carolina Central with by the name of Lavelle Moten, and I was like, I'm not good. He's actually good. Mm. And he ended up becoming one of the leading scorers at Central. Now he's the head coach at North Carolina Central, of course, and one of my good friends. So, like, again, it's just a basketball environment. And I just fell in love with it. And so now my daughter is 15. She plays. She loves the game. She studies the game. She she was bothering this morning about the, the video. I had a tape, um, a game video last night. Mm-hmm. And she was hitting me this morning and said, Daddy, did you get the video? Did you get the video? Because she wants to watch the game. She wants to watch and study the game. So I'm just, I just basketball, basketball. And so and then I started a travel basketball team called the Carolina Dream for girls. And then ended up teaching at Duke and player after player after player and met Jason Maiden, then met Carlton DuBose and mm. ended up at Nike EYBL and mm-hmm. Peach Jam. And mm-hmm. now, although I don't want to see Cole do bad, but Cole is one of my kids. Armando Baycott is one of my kids. Oh, wow. Tyrese Maxey is one of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotty Barnes, Isaiah Stewart, you know, Trent Wofford at, um, at uh, LSU, like yeah. all these kids I met through EYBL. Mm-hmm. And so I taught Zion, I taught Marvin, I taught Wendell Carter and Wendell Moore, Cassius, everybody. So mm-hmm. now I'm in this position where I'm like, okay, what do I do next? You know what I mean? But I just love the game, man. I'm a statistician. All my boys know I'm a statistician. Mm-hmm. Don't get into an argument with me. I'll start kicking that, that, That's honestly the most North Carolina thing about you because as soon as I brought up North Carolina Duke, you just started throwing numbers at me. It's it all like about I was numbers. back home. Numbers, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like four numbers. minutes left. What numbers. happened? I'm numbers. like, was it a travel? Numbers. You're like, all about no. Numbers. What is numbers. analytics here? It's <laughs> analytics. You know, it's a you, different level of analytics. I get into a big argument about, you know, the 90s Bulls and they didn't play anybody and I don't like the hell. Like, so I started. Well, what you, you think? You know, here, we, we want to know what you think about that. I think that's a damn lie because, <laughs> I mean, and you, and it's crazy. I'm talking about you would know this. Like, the Phoenix, the 93 Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. 
their first six players average double figures. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, from Barkley to Richard Dumas, bro, they they average double figures in the regular season. Like, this is serious. No, this I is love dead it. serious. Yeah. Even the '92 Portland Trailblazers, which still to this day, other than the '77 Trailblazers, that's probably the best Trailblazers team we've seen mm-hmm. since, right? Mm-hmm. And then Magic, everybody like, well, Magic was old. He won the MVP the year before, before they went to the finals in 91. He won the MVP the year because he wasn't old, right? And so even talking about the teams that had to beat in the Eastern Conference Finals, the semifinals, mm-hmm. we're talking about you're playing against dynasties. Now you play against players, but now right. you say play against dynasties, right? Mm-hmm. Then the Knicks in the 90s, like, I don't know too many players now, although they're built physically strong. I don't know too many players that can mentally handle the Knicks in the Garden in 1992. So, I, am I? No, I'm you're right. talking yeah, to yeah, a yeah, lip. No, I'm talking to a right now. Yeah. Is, yeah you, you. So, so that's what I mean. Like, it's to say they didn't play anybody. Not only did they play some of the best teams, they played some of the best coaches and masterminds of the game. You know what I mean? Whether it be Eidelman or Westfall or Riley, Daly. Look at these. You know what Seriously. I mean? Like. All of these coaches that you're going up against, you know, Lenny Wilkins, night in and night out, who shaped the game as we know it to be, what you mean you're not playing against anybody? You know what I mean? So it's that's a lie. That is a lie. That's a cold, hard lie. Yeah, put that out to the world. And it's funny because, like, the basketball, you're supposed to pass the baton, right? You're supposed right. to, like, learn something and then Absolutely. pass on the game. And Absolutely. when you try to divide the generations by saying you played nobody, the game is totally different. You do a disservice to the game of basketball, which is the whole point. And why you have to point right. out all these legends who were there in the '90s. You know, with you know Patrick Ewing when he was the number one pick, people were crying because it was a guarantee that he was going to win so many championships, and he didn't because of a team, the Bulls, that that, were, that was beating. You know what I mean? Like, yo, man, listen. Mike stopped forty-one people for forty-one. He, he took forty-one players to the finals and got him a ring, but the, the list of players he. And I don't took taken. He didn't do it by himself, of course, of course. But yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying. Nah, nah he didn't. Nah, he didn't. Because man, I'd rather you taking a shot a lot right. of times than other than other folk on the team. But I mean, <laughs> but Luke Longley's hurt right now. Hearing that, <laughs> you know, Mike never won. Would have, you know. The Bulls never had an established big man. Mm-hmm. If we run down the list of big men they had over the years, it's like, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> although they play hard, Livingston play hard, Dickie Simpkins played when he played, Jason Caffey, Scott Williams. I mean, listen to what we talking about. Mm-hmm. Cartwright, Daley, Longley, bro. Like, we, 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 yo, man, we really, we struggled for, with finding a big man. It was just like a plug and play after a while. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it was just a different time, man. Like it, it was a different time. You can hand check the flagrant file. A flagrant one was a regular file. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the rules were completely different. So I don't know even the offenses they run now would it be able to work during that time? Because I mean, you play, you can play in the guy's chest. It was all different at the time. So, what do you think yeah. of the game? What do you think of the game today? I think athletically, like I'm looking at some of these EYBL teams now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, yo, in high school, they would have beat us by 50, like easy. Yeah. Like, but you do have a lot of players who are just naturally gifted, but still don't know the game. So they come in, you go to EYBL thing, everything's so fast, 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 fast. 
they're act acting off instinct until they get in front of a coach that actually teaches them how to play and you can see them slow down and slow down and slow down like one of the players you know that's in eybl now that's going to oklahoma state is Kay cunningham yeah he's one of the ones who carolina duke recruited him as well yeah, yeah. right they did you oh, know wow. and he's one of the one he's best point guard in the country he's yeah. like a he's a six eight guy who's six seven who's like a brevin knight and andre miller together yeah that's a great way. yeah that's a great way to describe he's it, very yeah. he's paced he yeah. you can't rush him he, he you can't speed him up he plays the game right he throw he can throw a chest pass on a on a line from one end of the court to another and you can land right in, like mm -hmm. he's that type of player and but it's not a lot of him because everybody's so fast 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 because what they see on ig they want the highlights or whatever mm -hmm. until they get in front of a coach k or roy williams and say hey slow down let's learn the game right and so you get into a league where now there's the league is infested with 18 year olds fresh out of travel basketball as opposed to in the 80s and 90s you're playing against 22 year old men like who had been buck, coached by lefty drizel and all these guys who were legends back then like buck williams was a man you understand what i mean like these dudes were like big like right kevin willis mm -hmm. uh oldest Thorpe. like these dudes are like like big grown men oh grown men but they also knew the game too, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But now you just got these big, like big kids who can actually run and jump, but they really don't understand the ins and outs of the game. And they learn that coming to the league. And, it's, and it's, that's what takes them so long to adjust. That's what takes, we, we expect them to look like a LeBron coming in, but that's one in a million coming in doing what LeBron is doing. Brandon Ingram is just now turning the corner because mm -hmm. he's learning how to play the game, mm -hmm. right? So. And it's, and it's one of those things we talk about this all the time there is no prep for the nba like the college basketball game is right. not the nba game it's totally different aau and eybl and all this stuff is totally different than the nba so when you go to the nba you're playing a different game of basketball anyway right. so you have to learn on your on the fly and if you don't have any sort of foundational skills to rely on you g league they g league <laughs> yeah, yeah. you playing for the iowa stampede or the you're in cedar the Erie bayhawks or yeah <laughs> You playing for the Santa Cruz or the uh, Greensboro Swarm? You Greensboro Greensboro Swarm. Like you're playing for any of those those cats, and, and you don't have a chance to. The maturation of college, and we can get to the whole thing about the NCAA, if you pay them or not. But just the idea of the maturation of college, the maturation of a player being at a school three or four years under a legendary coach helps that player going into the NBA. Mm -hmm. I, you can't get that kind kind of grooming. And learning about themselves because you also getting a lot of players in the league that don't know themselves you know what mm -hmm. i mean and so you getting in the league don't know yourself you can't play well you know so you know nice you coming here and we talking basketball but we have to at least talk some music we got to talk a little <laughs> this is what bj it. brought you on he wants to talk about music. bj brought me <laughs> yeah, out here yeah. for. we have to talk a little music right okay, cool. i mean right. you have the ultimate respect from us here true hip-hop heads not the at the rap with the hip hop. Right, right. And we want to commend you for standing in that lane and what you were doing for the culture. Let me explain something to you, man, Mr. BJ Armstrong. Yes. Like, the day you hit me on Twitter, man, I called like 10 people. And, and when you hit me back, I called about <laughs> 25 people. <laughs> okay. So, all right, now that we keep it real. We keep it real. We gotta like, keep it real. That's ninth, man. That, hey, I say, yo, man. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, because you were so much of a you know, a part of my upbringing, you know what I mean? You know, even for the music I listened to and everything, like it was a soundtrack, like the Bulls were a soundtrack for me, a visual soundtrack for me nice. to listen to the music I was listening to, whether it be Tribe, 
whether it be DOS effects, right. whether it be Daylight, whether it be NWA or or, mm-hmm. or at the time the Chronic, right. you know, any of that at that particular time, I, it was it was I had something to go along with it. But I mean, it's it's all a part of a legacy. I'm pretty sure when you got into the NBA, you got in got in it knowing that I'm part of a legacy. Yes, I'm part of you know the point guards before me and, and even coming after me, and that's how I look at it. Like I met Jaleel Beats upstairs for the yeah. first time, and it's always good for me when I meet producers coming after me because I know how it felt mm-hmm. when I met Pete Rock for the first time when I oh, met DJ wow. Premier for the first time wow. the beat miners like yeah. like I met Hank Shock Lee from the bomb squad I couldn't let his hand go like you <laughs> right, know what right, I, mean? I just kept right. shaking his hand yeah. like make sure it's real you make sure it's real I'm standing in front of <laughs> Hank Shock Lee when I met yeah. the RZA and anybody who, who who particularly shaped my life as far as musically is concerned so I could take that energy and pass it forward but you know, I, I've heard the name Goat. I've heard the name Legend. I've heard the name whatever, man. I'm just, I'm just a piece of the puzzle. They got to keep soul oh, going because we're losing soul. Yep. Day in, day in and day out, we're losing it amongst kids. Like soul is a, as a food they've never tasted before. So I'm trying to keep that going as much as I possibly can through, through Anderson Pack, through Kendrick, mm-hmm. through my artist Rhapsody, through. Yep. Through everybody I could put my hands on, I try to give them something soulful, even if it's in amongst of. Oh, that's, another, that's another, beautiful. Other type of beats, and we definitely we hear that in your music. And look, we're huge fans. Is anything you can share with us? What you potentially working on? Everything you come out is just fire. Again, you know what? Still a professor at Duke, so yeah, I'm yeah, still yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. enrolling that okay. class. All right, so I am. Um, we're ready to take the class. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. ready. Oh, please come down. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm a professor at three schools. I'm a professor in uh, North Carolina Central. Nice. Well, you can see me and some of my friends with two. I'm a professor at Duke University. I'm also a visiting lecturer and um, fellow fellow at Harvard. So I'm back and forth to Harvard sometimes oh, doing man. a research project. Um, all this academic stuff. I'm at the, I'm on the hip hop council for the Kennedy Center Performing Arts. I'm on the rap committee for the Smithsonian African American Smithsonian. Wow, um, you are the Carolina dream. I mean, you are you are the I world guess. dream. I mean, you I are, guess yeah. you say say that. Um, um, <laughs> Other than Duke stuff, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Come on, don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, but other than, you know, the connection I have with Chicago is, right now, is I, um, myself, I got E. Jones over here, who's a, a producer on my label. We scored the um, movie called A Most Beautiful Thing. And the movie is about the first row team, African-American row team from Chicago. They were all, was it South Side Kids or West Side Kids? West Side Kids, they were West Side Kids. And they started a row team in Chicago, like a row team, yeah. uh, African American, and they're doing a story on them. Amazing. And, and, and the the movie is executive produced by me, Dwayne Wade, and Grant Hill, oh, and it's man. narrated wow. by Common. Wow! So, nice. and we scored the whole thing. So, all the music you hear is from us. The artists that you ha- hear on it are artists from my label. Um, there's a Chicago artist named Film Dot that's on the um, uh, on on the album. I mean, on the soundtrack. So. That's March 27th in select theaters, AMC theaters around the country. Absolutely. So well, that's, uh, that. that's great to know. And again, uh, Ninth Wonder from Little Brother, from Harvard, from Duke, from Central, <laughs> from North Carolina, from Midway, North Carolina. From Midway, boy, you know. To the top. From Midway, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To the North top. Carolina. Thank you so much, Ninth. My Wonder. man, thank you. All right, there you have it. Ninth Wonder, uh, again, in Chicago at the 69th NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, we, we have to have Ninth back on the show, right, PJ? He was obviously fired up. 
with a name like Ninth Wonder. <laughs> it's no wonder he, he, he is Ninth Wonder. He is truly amazing, amazing, and uh, we got to get him back on the show for sure. Yeah, and a basketball savant, and uh, and I know, I know he's a Duke fan, so it hurts me a little bit, but it's always good to uh, to have a little back and forth talking about Tobacco Road basketball, talking about you know how the game grew in, in that part of the country, and obviously Ninth is a basketball head. Uh, we know that. And uh, BJ, this has been another good edition of Pushing Through. We appreciate everyone uh, listening to this. And we also want to point out yet again, uh, the big is coming back uh, in basketball. And uh, BJ Armstrong pointed it out today. Uh, ninth Wonder, you heard him talk about some of the greats uh, from back in the day. In the game of basketball, uh, we, we need it back in, in, in our faces. We need it back in our hearts. And uh, it's hopefully coming back soon, BJ. Without question, it's coming back. It's already here. <laughs> we just got to highlight it. We just got to shine the light on it. You know? Shine the light. Shine the light. Yeah, we're here just to shine the light. That's what we do at Pushing Through. We just put the light. There you go. On the greatness. We there put you, it on the greatness. There you go. We'll highlight the Hoopers. We'll, we'll shine the light, and uh, we'll have basketball back hopefully very soon. This has been another edition of Pushing Through. We'll be back on Friday with the timeline. We'll see you then. <laughs>